You're listening to Grow Yourself Up, a weekly mental health podcast hosted by Kath Cunahan. I'm a psychotherapist, writer, and speaker working in private practice in London. I specialize in the impact of our own childhood on our parenting and how we can heal and integrate our childhood trauma, wounding, and stress so that we can inhabit our full adult selves. Join us each week as we talk about all things growing ourselves up, how we can tend to ourselves in our parenting, generational healing, and overcoming the impacts of childhood trauma. Together, we will become more self-compassionate, connected, authentic, resilient, and heart-centered, so we can live our own full and beautiful lives. As a listener of this podcast, you're welcome to come over and join the Facebook group. So search on Facebook for Grow Yourself Up. It's a private Facebook group of all the listeners. And did you know there are journal prompts that go along with every episode? So sign up for the journal prompts on kathcunahan.com or go to my Instagram, kathcunahan, and sign up at the link in the bio there. And you will get my newsletter, Nurture, Heal, Grow, which contains all the journal prompts. Looking forward to seeing you in the Facebook group. The podcast is produced each week by the wonderful Audio Cafe. Thanks for being here. Welcome back. Today, we're going to continue deepening into our journey around our own needs. And we will discuss once um, in the future as well. But I wanted to start off by speaking a bit about the consequences of not meeting our own needs. So they're really very real health consequences that appear in our lives when we don't tend to our physical and emotional needs, when we deny what keeps us healthy, when we overwork or shut down. There's a wonderful book by um, Gabor Mate called When the Body Says No, and he summarizes a lot of research there about not being in touch with ourselves, um, not being in touch with our emotional needs, and a lot of studies that show um, how that translates into adverse health consequences. And at a very kind of basic level, it's important to meet our needs because we are important. We are each important. We're not more or less important than anyone else. We are each important. And in our families, we are also important. Yes, when we've got tiny babies and young children, it's important to meet their needs first often, particularly when they're tiny. Um, but in your life, you're the main character. And we don't learn that enough. I think it's really important to learn that it's really your job to look after yourself. But because of the way our families of origin often work, and um, as I've talked about previously, the care going up the generations, as opposed to um, the adults caring for the children, we don't learn that. We learn that we are there as a kind of vehicle to make other people happy. And so starting to shift away from that notion can feel really uncomfortable and kind of strange and unfamiliar. And, you know, if we don't meet our own needs, it leads to a lot of resentment, um, burnout, Often at work, perhaps over-promising and under-delivering. Addiction sometimes, if we are kind of chronically disconnected from ourselves and constantly um, tending to other people, we may um, become addicted to certain things. So it's really important. This It's not something that's um, kind of fluffy and doesn't have real consequences. And it's really nuanced and messy because many of us are in positions of wanting to to change and shift dysfunctional patterns from our um, our original nuclear family, so our family of origin, um, what obviously a lot is called on social media cycle breaker, 
so we're working to heal these patterns of dysfunction as we parent our children. And that's really complicated. It's complicated to be learning to meet your own needs when you're trying to meet the needs of your child. And because you're probably a perfectionist in certain areas, you might be trying to do both perfectly, which is impossible. The idea of you being important may sound very foreign. And you may never have learned that because growing up in families where it's our job to tend to the emotions of our parents or contain their massive emotional dysregulation or try and please them or be good and shine at school so they can be proud. You learn that you are there to perform a function and that you, your value is dependent on something. And really your value is, um, inherent. You have worth just as you are and you're allowed to meet your needs, but this is an ongoing process of permission and allowing from ourselves in the end, because many, many, many of us, men and women, have learned that we're invisible in our families. And then we perpetuate that. We do the work of oppressing ourselves in some way because we don't meet our needs. So we're really trying to really shift that. I want to focus on needs and boundaries here, because when we're starting to put down, um, to kind of will tune into our own needs. We need to put down boundaries often to protect the time we need to meet our own needs or to say we can't do something else or to say that we would love to meet you for dinner and we would like to meet you somewhere that's halfway and we can't do that evening and we can't do that late. So getting more comfortable with boundary setting is really an integral part of meeting our needs. Now, Often the idea of setting boundaries feels so scary and terrifying that we completely avoid it. I often have with clients, actually, when I'm sitting with someone in the room and I say to them, okay, so we've played through a scenario and um, I say to them, what would feel right for you in the situation? And they say they don't know. And then I say, okay, um, what would be the best outcome for you? And then they say they don't know. And then once we've if I say to them, okay, I think actually you do know, you do know what you want in this situation. You, you can feel it in your body actually, and you know clearly what feels right for you, but there's a, a feeling of being scared, actually, and even terrified in some points, in some cases that you may be abandoned if you, if you say what you need. Um, let's just speak about it here because obviously in the therapy room, you're completely safe and it's totally confidential. And without fail, every single client is able to say, oh yeah, this is, this is what I'd really like. So we know, and you know too, you know too in relationships where you feel, if you start to feel a bit resentful, you know actually what you would like, but often it's the act of putting down the boundary or even just the projection of what it's going to be like to put down the boundary that stops us actually um, stating what we might need. So I really want to give you some encouragement around that and some suggestions around um, starting to put down boundaries and then kind of holding yourself around that. So let's just define what a boundary is. So a boundary is something that protects you or protects your children or physical boundaries are things where we protect our property. So you can think about if if you own property, your boundary is delineated by maybe a fence or a wall. And that indicates this is, this is where our property ends and this is where your property begins. And so we want to imagine that as well in an emotional um, sort of sense that a boundary is like a line that we draw to protect ourselves. We say, no, 
I'm not going to go further than that, or this is what I need to do to keep myself safe. And so you can imagine that you're drawing something around you to keep yourself safe, to protect you. We do that to protect our children. If your children are fighting and one of them throws something at the other one's head or hits the other one's head, then you'll intervene and um, stop the hitting and explain that it's your job to keep someone safe. So you put down a boundary around you can't throw and you can't hit. And in our adult life, we get to do that in many, many, many ways all the time. So our boundaries are not walls. And they are not set in time forever. You're allowed to change your boundaries. On some days may feel comfortable with some things and some days may not feel comfortable with some things. So don't think that once you've put down a boundary, you can't then change it. You, you'll have different boundaries with different people. You'll have different boundaries at different times of the month. You'll have different boundaries depending on how tired you are. All of this is around deepening into your own awareness around what feels good for you in this moment, what feels good for you in that moment. How can you kind of set yourself in a position to thrive by either protecting your time, your energy, um, how much you give away? And that's all about the boundaries that you draw for yourself. And another really important thing about boundaries is that you don't need to get your boundaries signed off by another person. So I may have a boundary, which you think is silly or you wouldn't put down, but that actually is not important. You don't need to go out into the world and survey all your friends or um, or anyone actually to get them to sign off on our boundaries. I think that's a really important point for uh, recovering uh, people pleasers and perfectionists because I noticed that I used to want to get people to approve of my boundary. And that kind of defeats the point because when you're putting down a boundary, you cannot be taking care of someone else's feelings. So I'm going to say that again. When you put down a boundary, You can't be taking care of someone else's feelings. The point of the boundary is to be taking care of you. So I'm not suggesting that you turn into, you know, a a kind of an asshole and um, don't take other people into account. But at the time that you put down the boundary, someone else may feel discomfort or you may perceive that they feel like that. But that doesn't mean that you don't put down your boundary. And that's one of the the key kind of things that we have to get more comfortable with. And that's one of the areas that can feel the most uncomfortable. It's also important to remember that boundaries are quite practice. So we're not going to get this right first time. We have to start practicing in small ways in relationships where we feel safe. So notice, um, look around at the relationships in your life. Perhaps with some people, you find it quite easy to put down boundaries. Perhaps you have some friends or colleagues who themselves are very aware of their own boundaries and perhaps they model something for you. And in that modeling, that might feel like it's easier for you to put down boundaries because they're kind of giving permission and allowing that for you. So start practicing in those relationships, putting down boundaries for yourself. And you can then build up to relationships where it feels harder. So so we talked a little bit about this in episode two, but when we are putting down a boundary, because of the way we are raised in our families often to be um, conditioned to care for other people, we are not, um, first of all, in tune with what we might need. And therefore the boundary feels hard. But most of all, we're, we're hyper aware and hyper vigilant and our nervous system is tuned into what other people need to make them happy. So we're doing a real about switch. I always use this image of radar. And you know, I think I got this image from Top Gun. So it's, <laughs> that shows my age, but <laughs> basically imagine those big, like 
kind of um, round cup-shaped radar things. And when we've grown up tending to other people's needs, they face outfits because we are always looking for what the signals that other people are sending us. Now imagine you're going to turn that back to yourself and you're looking for your own signals around, oh, what keeps me safe in this situation? What do I enjoy? How can I meet that need? How can I um, deal with that discomfort? How can I soothe myself? So we're looking for all our signals from our own body. And initially, when you start to put down um, boundaries, your own signals from your body will send you signals that this is not safe. So remember from episode two, we talked about um, a bit about neuroception. And um, if you want to go and read more about that, you can go and read some stuff from Deb Dana or Stephen Porges, or just search on the internet for neuroception. But um, your interoception, so your uh, internal sensations from your body, you might feel a lot of discomfort. Often we feel tension in our chest or kind of pain in our tummy or contraction of those muscles when we start to do um, things that look after us and put down boundaries because it feels so uncomfortable. It feels kind of dangerous that we're going to be unsafe if we do this. It could be that the people we have an idea that people might leave. They may stop being our friend. So there's often a sense of abandonment. They may criticize us. And so be, be aware of that. Be aware that, say, for example, if you're putting down a boundary with your own mother, if you're saying, no, I can't meet you, or with your mother-in-law, or with one of your friends, or with one of your siblings, that you may be stopped. Your body may say, no, no, this is not safe. And actually, um, we want to kind of tend to those uh, sensations and continue with the boundary. So a lovely way to give yourself a sense of safety is to actually put your hand, self-touch. So put your hand on your chest, um, put your hand on your tummy, tell yourself you're safe, speak in a gentle voice, reassure yourself, and then continue with putting down the boundary. So don't think that those sensations are a signal that you need to stop. Often they're actually an indication that you can continue. And it can be really hard to hold this. So it can feel almost terrifying when you start to put down boundaries and really look after yourself. Don't shame yourself for that. Often I see clients really kind of saying, I know what I need to do and it feels ridiculous that I can't. No, it's not ridiculous. It's that this is how you've kept yourself safe. So now we're learning, oh, I'm safe in adulthood and I can put down boundaries, but it's a process and it's messy. I want to suggest that when you are starting to put down boundaries or um, starting to put them down in more kind of difficult relationships, that you get some support around that. Now, support can come in, in varied ways. You can, um, one of, one of the ways that's really helpful is to co-regulate with someone else before and after. So, I suggest that, well, I call that bookending. So that would be where you maybe phone someone or text someone before you put down the boundary, when you've identified you need to put down a boundary with your partner, your boss, your um, your friend, whoever it is, to just, you can text someone else or phone someone else and say, I'm going to do this. It makes me feel really uncomfortable. And then I'm going to let you know afterwards because you kind of borrow some brave from someone and they can reassure you and, and, um, kind of give you some love and care. And then once you've done it, you can phone them back or text them and let them know how it went. Other ways to do that are to really soothe yourself beforehand. So again, the self touch, putting a hand on your body, reassuring yourself that you're allowed to do this, that you can say no to someone coming to visit or you can say no to whatever, um, or you can change a plan to make it work better for you. 
And remember what I said earlier about, you know, we're not trying to be self-obsessed in a way, but we're, we're trying to define the bound, the, the kind of the boundaries and the edges of ourselves as a person. And, um, that takes practice. And sometimes what we do with our boundaries actually is we're very kind of dogmatic and inflexible initially. And that's, also actually part of the, of the kind of the growing, because we have to often, if we've had no boundaries, we swing very much to the other side of like suddenly we're putting down big boundaries all over the place. And then we often swing back to a more middle position. I notice that I've done that. I've been very like emphatic about some things in my own recovery journey. And then I've been able to come back to a place of more, uh, nuance. So notice where you are. You'll be at a different place in your journey and each are valid. So to support yourself, there's bookending it. There's um, self-touch, putting your hand on your body. There's doing it in an environment where you feel safe. So often um, maybe you want to do it when you're outside in nature or if you're walking, that helps often process stuff because we're kind of the rhythmic action of walking means it might be more easy for you to speak to someone and say something difficult. Um, and you may already have your own ways of supporting yourself. Perhaps you do it just after you've been to an exercise class or just after you've been swimming, um, or when you're going to see a friend afterwards so that you can do some processing or just before you see your therapist, or you could even do put a boundary down in therapy. You know, if you need to phone someone um, that feels really difficult, you can do it in the presence of your therapist if that feels um, really kind of grounding for you. This is all around noticing what works for you. And when we're starting to do something that feels difficult, we want all the support we can get. Now, some of you might find boundaries really easy and some of you might find them really difficult. So again, like pick what you like from this podcast and, you know, leave the rest. Okay. So those are some ways to support you and also think about the ways which work for you. So it's always a good idea to be not to be hungry, uh, not to be in a very emotional state. In terms of the medium that you put the boundary down, that can also be very supportive. If you have a very challenging relationship with someone, perhaps face-to-face might be too much initially. Maybe you need to start off on a text message or on WhatsApp or leaving someone a voice note or even sending an email if it feels too difficult that you might get too sort of stimulated actually doing it face-to-face, then do it in an easier way. We're, we're aiming for ease here. We're not aiming for perfection. So really notice the the medium or the, the kind of way of communicating that would be best for you. It's really complicated as a parent to meet needs because you've got the demands of your children. Particularly if you didn't have your needs met, you may be trying to meet your children's needs perfectly which is also not possible. And so you may tend to then not be very present for yourself because you're so trying to be so perfectly present for your children. I want to suggest that moving away from that is helpful because you actually modeling for your kids, I am important, my needs are important, is important for them. And this can be a challenge when you have young children particularly. So I want to make some suggestions for you if you're a mum or a dad and you're trying to um, meet your own needs when you really literally have no time and you maybe you're doing full-time childcare for um, two little ones. So this is where I suggest we really get creative. Looking across our week at what we might need is really helpful. So for me, I know that sanity comes when I've had movement and when I've been out in nature. Let me give you an example. Actually, when we lived, when we first had our children, we lived in a, um, a flat, a t- like a top two floors of a Victoria conversion. So for those of you who don't live in, um, in the UK, that's like, um, 
an old house that's been converted into flats and um we lived on the top two floors and there was no lift and um we couldn't like bringing the 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 pram or the buggy up and down the stairs was like a total nightmare so I kept the buggy downstairs, but assembling a double buggy when you have to use those carry cots was also really complicated. And there was like five flights of stairs. So getting two babies up and down the stairs really, honestly, it gave me so many like troubles. It really confounded me. And it was so effortful when I was the only adult, which I often was. But I also knew that I needed to get out. At some points I started to feel quite, I felt like I lived in a metal box and I felt really trapped. So I got a carrier. Um, when the, my girls were um, really young, I got a twin carrier, which also was a bit challenging, to be honest, because it was difficult to put two tiny babies into them. But I got this twin carrier and I could put them both on the front of me and then I could go out. And I can't tell you the profound joy I felt on the first time I went out. We used to live um, in a place called Brook Green and I went to the Shepherd's Bush Tesco and I felt like all my Christmases had come at once. I was so proud of myself. And then I went for a little walk in the park. So I got to have, there were some beautiful plane trees and I love plane trees with those big green leaves. Um, I got to have some nature and I got to go to the shops, which felt very joyful. And, you know, even though it required a lot of effort, doing that in the morning meant I had so much more sanity for the rest of the day. So often our needs particularly as a new mum, you cannot meet all of them, I would suggest, unless you have a lot of childcare. Um, so I would suggest lower your expectations, lighten the mental chatter around, you know, I, I can't do this all now, really come up with a lot of compassion. It's very difficult in early motherhood, very difficult. So be really gentle with yourself and just try and meet one need. So for me, some walking and movement is important. Don't try and have like a perfect uh, morning routine. That is a fantasy. I always used to berate myself with the, um, the thing about why don't I get up at 5.30 and like, I don't know, do some yoga or have some breathing and um, maybe go out of the house when my husband was still there. For me, that's never worked. Um, maybe some of you are morning people. I'm not a morning person. And um, oppressing ourselves with things that we actually know are not going to work for us is not helpful. I have always used my children as an alarm. That feels better for me because I'd like to maximize sleep. Often I've actually got one of our daughters sleeping in our bed with us. So that kind of fantasy morning routine, I had to let go of that. And some days in early motherhood, well, quite often actually, I would just put my clothes on straight away so that I could go out. So you don't have to get like this perfect thing of like, I need to have a shower, I need to do this, I need to do that. No, just do something which will nourish you in the moment. So sometimes just pick one need. Sometimes that's having a hot cup of tea. So going back to meeting needs in early parenthood, let's have a chat about that. Look at where you can uh, meet up with someone or do a childcare swap with someone. I know that's really difficult when you've got small, small children. Like what gives you the most sanity? Is it painful to go to the park by yourself? Do you have a friend or someone from one of your antenatal groups that you can just meet up and go to the park with? Because having a chat about you know, whatever you're facing really lessens the the burden of that. I also think about stacking habits. I think that's an idea from James Clear, but I always do some stretching when I shower. Some people do squats when they're brushing their teeth. That would never work for me, but think about ways you can be creative about um, 
putting in a bit of exercise or putting a bit of movement or putting in a conversation. So when my kids used to still sleep like three naps, they would sometimes have a nap before supper. And I would always go walking in that nap, even in winter when it was dark, because it would kind of give me a little bit of a burst of energy for to get through the whole evening routine. And I would kind of process out some of the stress of the day on this walk. And I didn't really care actually if they didn't sleep or they would just be in their, in their like buggies or their carry cot lying down. And, um, that kind of met the need of them have, trying to have their nap, but also I didn't have to stay at home and try and get them to sleep or anything. And we were kind of out and about and moving. So that was good for all of us. Think about trying to get, if you, if you parent, if you're co-parenting with someone and you're in a relationship, how can you divide up the tasks? You might have to renegotiate some of the, um, the boundaries in your relationship because in your love relationship, you may also have kind of slipped into a role of, of you largely meet their needs. So parenting may bring up all that stuff for you in your love relationship because now suddenly you're trying to meet the needs of children and you've got yourself into this dynamic where you also are meeting the needs of your partner. And I'll do some kind of further discussions around that because often you have to start asking for more help. You have to redefine um, the kind of operating principles of your primary love relationship in order that you kind of don't burn yourself out. Okay, so we'll be returning to um, the subject of needs. We're going to talk more about needs in our nervous system um, next time. Um, let me know if you have any thoughts or if you'd like me to answer something specific around needs. I'd love to hear your feedback. Again, with this episode, there will also be journal questions that I'll send out. Uh, so sign up at psychotherapymum.com or on Instagram at psychotherapymum. The journal questions are designed to be an accompaniment to the podcast so you can um, deepen into your own inquiry and process and see what's going on for you around um, the topics we're covering. Okay, take care. Have a good week. You've been listening to Grow Yourself Up, hosted by Kath Cunahan. We'll be back next week with a new episode supporting you to better understand and tend to yourself for more heart-centered, connected, authentic, and resilient living.